is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go. Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Football Today. We are fired up. We are all about the Browns right now for the first time ever. What's up, Dave Richard? What's up, Adam? You know, the, the NFL League New Year starts on March 15th. Happy League New Year to everybody, by the way. Thank you. The Browns got started ahead of everybody else in the National Football League. And four trades in 24 hours. Their offense looks completely different. And I don't think they're done. There's a lot more coming up for Cleveland in yes. the very near future. Yes, they have nearly $80 million in cap space, second to the Jets right now. And so we still have a ton of draft picks, early oh, draft oh, picks. Oh, yeah, that too. We're going to talk to Nathan Zagura, who used to be our colleague. You might remember Nathan. And uh, now he is the Cleveland Browns senior media broadcaster, and he must be really excited. I, I want to know how Cleveland's feeling about this right now. They have Jarvis Landry. They have Tyrod Taylor. They have cornerback Demarius Randall. They have a ton of draft picks. Uh, they have a ton of money. So it is the year of the Cleveland Browns, perhaps. Dave, before Nathan gets on, what's your fantasy take specifically on Jarvis Landry, who has been for three straight years top 14 in PPR, top 17 in standard? Uh, I have him dropping a little bit. I've got him as a low-end number two wide receiver in standard league, still a, a, a solid number two wide receiver in PPR. hes I don't think he gets quite the same amount of targets as he would normally get, uh, or at least that he got in Miami. Now that Josh Gordon's there, now that – Corey Coleman, David Njoku, whoever the running back is, Duke Johnson is probably still going to be on the team. They're all going to collect targets as well. And Tyrod Taylor specifically, I, I crunched some numbers on him. Not a fan of the slot receiver from his days in Buffalo. And that's just something that we do have to look at. Maybe Cleveland's going to throw a curveball here and start using Jarvis Landry more on the outside. The Dolphins did that last year. It kind of worked out for Landry, I'd say. But I, I, I don't believe he's going to be quite as prolific as a fantasy wide receiver as he was last year or the year prior. Some numbers for you to consider before we get Nathan on. No Browns wide receiver has caught more than five touchdowns in their last five, in the last four seasons. That's since Josh Gordon's. There's only been year. one guy since I think 2008 who's done it, and it's okay. Gordon. Gordon. Tyrod Taylor's never thrown for 3,100 yards. Never thrown for more than 20 touchdowns in a season. Never thrown for more than I believe 430. Never thrown more than 436 passes in a season. So uh, a lot of mouths to feed there. We're going to see how he spreads the ball around. Let's bring on Nathan Segura. He is, like I said, the Cleveland Browns senior media broadcaster, and I hope all of you remember him from his days here at CBSSports.com. So get some great info from Nathan. Nathan, how are the people feeling in Cleveland? You know what, gentlemen? It is great to be with you, and it's obviously an exciting time here in Cleveland as well. It's a flurry of activity uh, the Browns making trade after trade after trade on Friday night and then even into Saturday with the trade of Danny Shelton, but to bring in some guys that can help this organization that unfortunately has been, you know, six feet below the last two years with only one win, get back to winning football games. And Tyrod Taylor uh, can help at quarterback, Jarvis Landry, obviously, at wide receiver, and then Demarius Randall, who I think is going to come in and play some safety for the Browns, uh, has an opportunity to help on the back end of this defense that was one of the worst in the NFL. Well, it's exciting. To, it's exciting to see these changes happen. I don't know where you wanted to go with this, Adam, but I, I want to go straight to the quarterback. Well, can I let me let me ask this Twitter poll real quick that I just posted because it is split fifty fifty. Now we're in the very early moments of the Twitter poll, two hundred and eighteen votes in. But I said, just knowing what we know right now about the Cleveland roster, who will put up better fantasy numbers next season? Half PPR. Josh Gordon or Jarvis Landry? And it is split 50-50. What would you guys do there? Uh, Nathan, you can have our, our, your first take. Landry or Gordon? Uh, well, half-point PPR. If it was full, I would definitely say Landry. But half, I'll say Gordon. But that is with a big asterisk in that he plays the 16 games. But certainly, I don't know if you guys saw the picture that he posted on Twitter and on his Instagram. He looks to be in unbelievable condition, and if he can keep himself on the field, I think Josh Gordon will be one of the most dominant receivers in the NFL and in all of fantasy as well. I, I think it's I think it's going to be hard for defenses to make a decision on how you go against Gordon and Coleman and Landry all on the field at the same time. Now, if you're in the red zone, I think it might be a little bit easier. Maybe you focus a little bit more on Landry, but outside of that, I think Gordon is going to be the number one target. I'm with you, Nathan. I, I think that in full-point PPR, Landry has an edge. But otherwise, I think there's just far more upside for Gordon. I think he's got a much better shot at over 1,000 yards. 
and six plus touchdowns. Yeah, I think Gordon's the number one option. And but the good thing for Landry is you think about it, you have Josh Gordon on one side. I don't think they're done at the wide receiver position. You know, a lot of people are saying that the Browns are very interested in Allen Robinson. Terrell Pryor wants to come back here. And Corey Coleman, frankly, hasn't been as advertised as that number one pick. And I think it's possible they could continue to move at the wide receiver position. So you could look at a lineup conceivably that's either Allen Robinson and Gordon on the outside with Landry inside. And don't forget that young tight end, David Njoku, a great athlete who can clear out the slot. I just think Landry's going to have a ton of room to work underneath and will be once again a very high volume receiver and look this is that Todd Haley offense he knows how to get his wide receivers the ball all right this has been a very rude interview so far Dave like I didn't really say hi to Nathan I just kind of jumped in with a fantasy question like what is up Nathan to be fair to be fair though we already had the introduction and we had all the love but my phone my cell phone wasn't good enough so now we're like (laughs) jumping back into this so I feel the love still it's there Former colleagues, I love you guys and happy to be here. Okay, good. All right, then then let's get back into football. Dave, you wanted to talk about the quarterback. And, like, as he relates to Jarvis Landry, I think that this is a big downgrade for Jarvis Landry. I gave the stats before Nathan came on, but he's never thrown for more than 3,100 yards. He's never thrown for twenty more than 20 touchdowns. He doesn't throw that many passes. Maybe we see a different Tyrod Taylor. I mean, this is definitely the best group of receivers he's ever had. But Sammy Watkins is the only wide receiver in, in Tyrod Taylor's three years uh, as the starting quarterback with more than 613 receiving yards. So, that, Dave, that's what I'm a little concerned about with uh, with all these guys, really, is like, look, it's better for the Browns, but he also he runs the ball. He doesn't throw the ball that much. It, what do you, What is your take, Dave, on, on Tyrod Taylor and how he gets all these guys their numbers? Well, first and foremost, you've got to consider the context of what he was asked to do in Buffalo, which is take yep. care of the football, don't throw it all over the place. And I just want to illustrate a couple of points. The last two years in Buffalo, slot receivers specifically, we're not talking about the outside guys, have had 141 targets, 87 catches, 1,140 yards, and nine touchdowns. That's in two years in Buffalo. Tyrod over the last two seasons has thrown the ball 856 times just under 6,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, so clearly not a lot to the slot. But then I dug a little bit deeper. I checked to see how often they were in a three-wide receiver set. In 2016, this might have been the lowest in the league, 44% of the time they used three wide receivers. The NFL league average in 2016 was over 60%, so 16% of the time less. That's, I mean, you're talking about close to 12 plays a game, something like that. Now, last year I don't have the percentage, but I'm sure it's up from 60.4% for the average of teams in 11 personnel. The Bills last year were in 11 personnel. Remember, different offense. It was the West Coast scheme, 53.5% of the time. My theory is that the Browns with Hugh and with Todd Haley will be in that three-wide receiver set far more often. That's why they got Jarvis Landry. So he's going to have an opportunity to buck that trend. Tyrod should. But I still know that he's got that propensity to throw deep when a play breaks down. I don't think he's looking five yards ahead as much as he might be 15, 20 yards ahead. And you're just not going to see Jarvis Landry there. You're going to see Gordon and whoever else might be there, whether it's Coleman or one of the other receivers that Nathan talked about. And then there's this other wrinkle that I'm going to throw in. Who says Tyrod Taylor starting for 16 games this year? Right, Nathan, you guys have a top pick in the draft, and maybe you look at a quarterback with one of the two top picks that you guys have. Yeah, I think the Browns are going to take a quarterback first overall, but I think Tyrod, as long as he's playing well, will play. And I think your point that you made there is very good. This is going to be a team that runs base 11 personnel. You're going to see that formation the majority of the time with the Browns. And Todd Haley, as I said, knows how to get the football out. I think Tyrod's going to throw it a lot more than he has in the past. From a fantasy standpoint, he still has a guy because of his legs that I think you're looking at as a high upside number two with the weapons he's going to have here. But I don't think I'm ready to go, at least not now, till I see them running around and training camp to say he's a top 12 option. But your point about dragging everybody else down, they're going to want to throw the ball. I do think they're going to add a very good running back in this draft. It could potentially be Saquon Barkley at four, or it's going to be one of those guys like a Sony Michelle or a Darius Geis or a Ronald Jones at the top of the second round. But I think this is going to be a very effective offense under Todd Haley uh, with the skill position players that they've got. And I think Tyrod will be asked to do a little bit more for this offense than he was in Buffalo. Yeah, Dave, I wonder if people are going to want to draft Tyrod Taylor. Just because quarterback is so deep. Have you thought about, have you updated your rankings, Dave? I moved him up a spot. He's still way outside of the top 12. Nathan's right. Where is he? Where is he? Part of the problem has nothing to do with Tyrod landing in Cleveland. It's got everything to do with how many great quarterbacks there are 
in the NFL right now for fantasy. I mean, I've I've got studs that I I like outside of my top twelve. Is he? But Phillip is he Rivers, top twenty, Dave? You know, is I he, love Philip Rivers. He's not in my. Is top he top twenty? Tyrod Taylor on your top twenty? I believe he's right around there. Okay. Uh, well, I'll take a look. He's I've got it right here. Twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah. Currently twenty third. Okay. Um, now listen, things obviously are going to change. What we're talking about on March twelfth might not be the same on March fourteenth, much less August fourteenth. So there's definitely room to improve. But uh, the the tendency, I just feel like the tendency of Tyrod kind of going three years without using his slot nearly as much, I think that's going to be tough for him to break, especially with burners like Gordon and Coleman um, working down the sideline. They're going to pay Jarvis Landry a lot of money, and he's going to be, I just think he's going to be heavily involved in the game plans. But it will be an adjustment, and that's why they got to get out here and start working together. And I'll have a better idea of how they plan to utilize all of these wide receivers and the tight end. And don't forget Duke Johnson out of the backfield and whoever this rookie running back is. Uh, they're going to have a lot of guys to mix in. It is going to be an offense where, it, and it's funny to say this because you haven't thought this for a long time about the Browns, but let's say that they bring in another receiver in free agency. They draft one of these running backs early, as I said. It's almost going to be like, who's going to get the ball? You know, there's there's might not be enough ball to go around, which is not something we've worried about before with the Cleveland Browns, but certainly would be fun to worry about. Is that a concern with Josh Gordon at the ball? Like, is he going to be able to put up elite receiver numbers if there are that many mouths to feed? Nathan? To me, if to you me, bring in Allen Robinson, <laughs> then I think that, and you've got Allen Robinson, Landry, and Gordon, then you have to wonder if somebody can be consistent week in and week out. If, if they right. keep Corey Coleman or bring in a Terrell Fryer, Josh Gordon is so special. He is going, the ball will be going to Josh Gordon. Make no mistake about it. I don't care who else they have. He's the guy that I would feel certainly the best about. And then in a PPR, Landry is going to get a ton of room underneath because everybody you have, even if it is Pryor or Coleman alongside Gordon with Najoku, they all can stretch the field. But underneath is going to, there are going to be some big windows underneath for this Browns team in the passing game. But are you concerned at all about the number of targets that he would get? Because it was pretty consistent in Miami. And he, and they definitely had burners in Miami with Parker and Stills to try and take the top off of defenses. But Landry was just such a huge magnet for Tannehill. And then last year, Cutler leaned on him a lot, especially in the red zone. In fact, 14 of his last 16 touchdowns have come from inside the 10-yard line. I couldn't believe that yep. stat about Landry uh, until I saw it for myself. But I'm worried that what might have been 10 targets per game for Landry last year could shrink to 8 per game in Cleveland. It's possible. I mean, I definitely think that's possible. The Browns have looked for somebody, though, who can help them in the red zone so his touchdowns could be there. He knows how to get open. He catches everything that's thrown to him and knows how to find those little holes. So we'll see. I think that that, from a fantasy standpoint, it will be interesting to see the distribution, and we'll have a better picture, as I said, once we know all the principles on that offensive side of the football for the Browns. Well, let me give you some numbers, Dave. You know, you talk about Landry going from 10 per game to 8 per game. That's 128 targets. Over 16 games, he's never missed a game in his career, by the way. That's almost exactly the amount of targets that Landry had in 2016. In 94 catches, 1,136 yards, four touchdowns on 132 targets. And he was 15th in standard. He was 14th in PPR. So people will take that. And that was with only four touchdowns. Let's, go, let's talk about well, something else. What was his receiving average there? Was that uh, the year with his career high, like yeah. 12 something? Yeah, it was right around 12.1. 12, 12. Yeah. And so that the was other, the other thing I wanted to say. His yards per catch are going to go up here, I think, significantly for Todd Haley. I think it's going to get back to the 11-12, which is makes a big difference when you're under nine. Let's, I didn't see it that way. That's that's interesting. And that's just because you think of the coverage being so light underneath. He'll be lined up against a linebacker or, or whoever most of the time. And you figure he'll and break away they're not gonna, And he's going to right. He's going to have more room underneath. He's also going to have more room if they run some of the bubbles there. But I also think if you look at Todd Haley, he's going to get his average depth of target to his receivers is going to be significantly higher than what Landry was experiencing down in Miami. Let's talk about Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson was the number 16 running back in standard, number 12 in PPR last year. And the year before, he was 40th in standard, 30th in PPR. And really, like, the yards weren't all that much different. But he had seven total touchdowns last year. He had one touchdown, Duke Johnson, in 2016. So this is a guy who's had, who had 74 catches for 693 yards. How does, how do he and Jarvis Landry fit together? Um, and they, I, I don't know that they're going to show a willingness to give him a lot of carries. So like, what is Duke Johnson's role now? Cause he was like the underneath receiver, right? Is he hurt by these moves? 
Well, he also played out of the back. So now he did play the first game against Pittsburgh entirely in the slot and did line up in the slot from time to time last year. So that part of his game will be gone. But he still is one of the better third-down backs in the league. And I think when you look at Duke Johnson, uh, I think it'll be difficult perhaps for him to match the numbers that he put up a year ago because I do think they're going to bring in a very good runner in this draft. But he's a playmaker, was the best playmaker on this team, frankly, last year. I know he is very highly thought of inside this building, and they will find opportunities to use him. He'll get flexed out sometimes. Let's not forget, Todd Haley would go with Le'Veon Bell, flex him out, and go a complete empty set a lot of the time, and you get him in those wide receiver routes against the linebacker. He's going to kill on those slants that they ran with Le'Veon Bell. So I just think maybe a decrease slightly in his opportunities, but I still think Duke Johnson is a guy that you'll be able to plug in in your bye weeks as somebody that you can play, and especially in people. PPR and half PPR formats. Okay. Uh, how about the uh, other uh, the other hurricane, David Njoku? What do you expect from him in year two? You know, a lot of times guys make big leaps from year one to year two. He was just 21 years old, but talk about a raw talent. That's what David Njoku is. I think he's he will vastly improve upon his numbers from last year. He, by the end of the year, was becoming really the best blocker of our tight ends. I think you're going to get to the point with David Njoku where he's not splitting time as much with Seth Valve as he did last year. He's going to start playing a lot more, and this is a great athlete. If you think about just the weapons that are here, this guy has an opportunity to really have a lot of room to work in the middle of the field, and he can stretch it vertically. I don't know if you guys have seen the highlight from oh, Week yeah. 17, what he can do after the catch when he juke Joe Hayden and picked up about 40 yards on that play. He led all tight ends coming into the league last year uh, in college for that rookie class in yards after the catch uh, as a, at the U. So he's an incredible athlete, and I think he is just going to get more and more opportunities as it goes on. And David Njoku, in a dynasty league, if you can get him on the cheap, I think you'll be very happy that you did. Well, the problem, th- this is another strike against Landry, if you ask me, because I agree with you 100% on Njoku. I see that upside with him. And I, I do know, again, going back to tendency with quarterback Tyrod Taylor, when he was running out of guys to, fu- to fire at in Buffalo, he leaned on Charles Clay. Oh, and big I, time. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that David Njoku has more upside than Charles Clay. And so, again, <laughs> Charles Brown, Clay. Browns, Browns are in the, of course, Browns are in the red zone. I don't know how defenses are going to cover all of these guys. And, to that extent, I don't know if that means that Landry is going to be um, targeted nearly as much down there. I think Njoku's going to take some. I think Duke could take some. I think a rookie running back, if it's the rookie running back, Nathan, he could end up playing a lot more and taking Duke off the field and taking carries that take away catches from all these wide receivers. And, oh, by the way, you've got Josh Gordon and, and you know everybody else that's there. So it's a lot of mouths to feed. It's the same theme that we've had, and it, it just it concerns me about one of these guys being a superstar for fantasy. It is possible, but Josh Gordon is that kind of a transcendent talent. I mean, the good news is we're talking about this, like how are all these guys going to get the ball? It's not something that I've dealt with at any point in my time here in Cleveland. So it's an exciting problem to have. And I think, as I said, we'll see how it plays out. Todd Haley has provided, presided over the number two offense in the NFL over the last six years. I'm not saying this offense is going to do that until, you know, they get that trigger man. But Tyrod certainly can be competent. It's going to be fun. I just think the, the Browns will put points on the board. I think that it could be a variable that you could have, you know, Josh Gordon would be your number one option, but some weeks you're going to have Njoku because he's going to get in the end zone and have a big game. Same with Jarvis Landry, who's going to be consistent, I think, in terms of catches and yards. But when he pops with the touchdown, he will be able to do that. And then you're going to have this new running back, and you talked about Duke, and you've got the other receiver, whether that's Coleman, whether that ends up being Terrell Pryor, whether that's Allen Robinson. It's actually exciting, and that's why I think Tyron – when you look at his ability to run with the football as well, and we know he's been very effective in that manner, 427 yards and four touchdowns last year, I think he's going to throw for over 3,000 this year. I think he's going to run for another 400, and then his touchdown total should get up, I think, at least near 20 in this offense, where he's going to be a guy that's not going to be that bad. And if he can put it together, he has an opportunity to be one of those guys who creeps into that top 15 when the year's all said and done. He's always done a good job of taking care of the football, and I think that that'll certainly help the situation when he plays. But you're on the phone. I got to ask you while I've got you, what's your take on the rookie quarterbacks in this draft, and do you have an inkling about what might fit best, or rather who might fit best with the Browns? You know, I think when you look at him, the guy that if he can come through and and, and refine the things that he needs to, some decision-making and obviously some footwork, some mechanical stuff, but it's all lower half, so they do think that that's something that you can fix. 
Uh, Sam Darnold seems to have the total package. Leadership, clutch, big, strong, can run, he's athletic, can make plays and extend plays so he can make the throw. So he seems like the top prospect to a lot of people I've talked to, but there is another group that absolutely thinks Baker Mayfield is the top prospect in this race. And I know there are some people that are consulting with the Browns right now. Scott McLuhan is one of them who think that Baker Mayfield is the top quarterback in this draft. And I don't know, you're not hearing a ton about Josh Rosen being linked to the Browns. Now, he is, I think, the prettiest thrower in this draft. Reminds me a lot of Matt Ryan. I'd have no problem with him as well. The one guy that I'm not as enamored with is Josh Allen. But, again, another guy that if you were to maximize his talent, has a lot of upside given his size, his arm, et cetera. But I'd prefer the guys that seem to be able to make those tight window throws that are accurate, and I think that would be those first three quarterbacks. Honestly, at the end of the day, whoever John Dorsey locks in on, take him number one. The Browns have an opportunity to get their quarterback and solve this problem that has plagued this franchise for so long, and then you're still going to get a stud player at number four. But I think you know the, name, the two names I'm hearing the most with the Browns are Darnold and Mayfield with Darnold in the lead right now. Nathan, have you done any, any data research on which one of the rookie quarterbacks is the most accurate on the deep ball? Uh, it's Baker Mayfield is the most accurate at every single level of these quarterbacks. He's the most accurate from a clean pocket. He's the most accurate from a contested pocket. If Baker Mayfield was 6'3", 6'4", like Darnold, I think there's no question he's the number one pick in this draft. It's just that people have that pause with him. Now, you, the other guy who is accurate is Darnold. Darnold throwing the ball down the field makes a lot of bucket throws, and I think he's a guy that – you know, only 20 years old that you look at and say, you can see from a size standpoint, he was durable, didn't miss any time, that this is a guy who could be your quarterback for 15 or so years. Now, uh, knowing wait. what I know about Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, and particularly Haley, since I figure he's going to be doing a lot more of the play calling, I think that that would make him more attractive because he's a better downfield yeah. thrower. You think about what Warner did in Arizona um, and, and what, what uh, Roethlisberger did in Pittsburgh. A lot of aggressive downfield throwing, and I'm sure Todd Haley's going to try and bring that to Cleveland. Of course, and if you think about the group that we're talking about at wide receiver in Gordon and Coleman or maybe Pryor or Robinson in free agency, Najoku, you have big, fast guys that you can play some basketball with down the field. No question about it. That's going to be a big part of this game. And then you've got safety nets working underneath the field who can make plays once they get the ball in their hand. This offense is set up pretty well to be successful, but I think a guy that can drive the football is important, but accurately, and I think you hit on the key word there, Josh Allen has all the arm strength in the world, but you've got to be accurate with that, and I think the best, you know, you look at Rosen, Darnold, and Mayfield, the three of them all can do it. Mayfield has been the best. Will that translate to the NFL? I'm not sure, but those three all can sling it and be very accurate at all three levels of the field. All right, I'm going to leave it on this. I, I, I want you to get into the building and float this. and so You don't have to say where you heard it from. I don't care. You can even take credit for it. Just tell okay. them with, with picks oh one and four, take two quarterbacks. Let them fight it out. Stop it. Get, take two. It's not going to happen. Take two. Get competition in there. Stop it. They, they just traded a third-round pick for Tyrod Taylor. Who cares? Get, get as many – Tyrod Taylor is one year. Take two great prospects – and and get a nail one. And who cares about who cares if the other one's a bust? Take two. You 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 identify the quarterback that you want. Now I have less of a problem doing that than the people now that are saying, hey, we don't even want to you know take a quarterback. And some Browns fans are very much still scared to take a quarterback, especially at number one, which I find fascinating. Uh, that pro- look, you're, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but if it did happen, it, it's because quarterback is that important. I would at least understand the logic of it. I think for the Browns, it's quarterback at one, and then at number four, you're either going to end up with Bradley Chubb, you're going to end up with Saquon Barkley, which I know the fans certainly want. I know fantasy people would be very interested in that. Or you're going to end up with whoever the top defensive back on your board is, and that could be Minka Fitzpatrick. It could be Denzel Ward, the corner out of Ohio State. We saw what Marshawn Lattimore did last year. So I think that you're in a great spot taking a quarterback at one and seeing what you want to do at four where you're going to get a blue chip elite prospect at one of the more important positions on defense or you decide and say hey we realize the value is not there but we're going to go ahead and roll the dice on this running back because so many people think Saquon Barkley can be just that special all right Nathan well thank you very much we're very happy for you we are sad that we don't get to talk to you as much but it's awesome that you uh, are the Cleveland Browns senior media broadcaster and that you're going to have a ton of fun in uh, the next several years so uh, thanks for coming on man it was great talking to you oh 
great to be back with you guys. A quality time as always. And listen, we deserve to have some fun here after the last few seasons in Cleveland, and it would certainly be nice to be able to win and then even have Cleveland Browns players be fantasy stars, yeah. which would get me back to my old world. My new world would be a ton of fun. And I got to tell you, whenever the mega powers reunite, it's always a good time. So happy to be with you guys, and, and we'll do it whenever you guys want. Ooh, yeah, Nathan, it was great to have you on this very podcast, and uh, I've, I got a feeling we're going to be talking a lot of Browns this year, so don't be a stranger. I hope so. Will not. All right, guys, thank you. All right, take care, man. Later, Nathan. All right, tough act to follow. Good stuff there from Nathan Zagura. We thank him, but we've got Heath Cummings, and he's got takes, he says, takes on the Brown situation. I I hope that Nathan is as excited as I am for the Cleveland Browns. Oh, yeah. This, I just tweeted this not too long ago, and I, I, you guys can tell me I'm wrong. I don't see an excuse for the Browns to be below 500. I think they are currently the second best team in their division, and they should only get better with the draft picks they have upcoming. You say this without knowing who they take in the draft. Yep. Or, uh, who most of their, have you thought about their defense at all and um, I would how expect that's going to shake out? Their defense will be improved in the draft. And free they agency. Still, they still have plenty of money to spend. Right. And they have some talented defensive pieces already. Hugh Jackson, like the response I got on Twitter was, well, Hugh Jackson's their coach. That's hell. Hugh Jackson took a team that had Jason Campbell and half of Carson Palmer. And their leading rusher was Michael Bush. Their leading receiver was Darius Hayward Bay. I remember. And they went 500. Yeah. This team is more talented than that team. And their division kind of stinks besides Pittsburgh. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> And it's kind of not just a fantasy thing, but also an NFL thing. What could hold them back? Let's not forget that Buffalo fans really didn't want Tyrod Taylor anymore. That they benched him for Nate Peterman, which was a mistake, but they still did. That, like, we're kind of acting like they've got this quarterback who's going to get them, you know, up to 500 or better this year. I don't know. Like, that, I really liked everything that Nathan said. And the biggest takeaway for me was that, and we'll update this Twitter poll, and here's here's what we've done today. We interviewed Nathan Zagura at noon Eastern. Right now it's 3. So we took a little bit of a break, and now we're finishing up the podcast. So the Twitter poll is updated, that same one, Jarvis Landry versus Josh Gordon, and it's still 50-50 with about a 1,000 votes in. It, Nathan at least convinced me that Josh Gordon, not that we didn't know, but, like, it was nice to hear from an insider. He's an elite talent. Like, he could transcend and, and doesn't have to worry about too many, you know, too many mouths to feed. So that was my biggest takeaway from what he said. But also, like, I just think maybe he's being a touch optimistic, and maybe a lot of people will be, because I don't know how good Tyrod Taylor is. I don't know that he can give all these guys fantasy production, and I don't know that he can get them more than six wins. Well, what I can tell you about Tyrod Taylor is he's never won less than six games as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's gone seven and six, seven and eight, and eight and six in his three years as a starter for the Bills. He's got Josh Gordon, he's got Jarvis Landry, he's got Joku, he's got Duke Johnson. I've got a little sneaky suspicion he's going to have Saquon Barkley as well. Maybe not. But well, if you, not Saquon, then one of these other rookie running backs. You missed what, what Nathan said, Heath, but he believes that they will go quarterback with their first pick. And that doesn't mean they won't get Barkley fourth. But if you think Barkley's gone before the fourth pick, then according to the Cleveland Browns senior media broadcaster, it probably won't be him on the Browns. Of course, he like Nathan doesn't know, but he's more informed than any of us. Uh, but he does he does think they are going to invest early in a running back. Yes. From from a fantasy perspective, the interesting thing with Tyrod, and it's kind of the same situation as with Alex Smith, only on a more extreme level. The Cleveland Browns have been one of the more pass happy teams, partially because they're always losing. Yeah. But they've been one of the more pass happy teams over the last three years. Hugh Jackson generally throws the ball more than he runs the ball. The Bills. Tyrod hasn't thrown the ball more than 436 times in a season. And he's still been, a, a most of the time, a borderline number one quarterback on a per-game basis. If he sees even a 10% increase in his pass volume, I will take Tyrod Taylor as a top-10 quarterback on a per-game basis this year. Well, I mean, he was 16th in 2015 and 16th in 2016. And he played 14 games and 15 games, I think. So, like, he's just not that good. He never tears it up. You know, I, like, you're not going to draft him 10th. Right? No, I said, but partially I'm not going to draft him 10th because I don't, like, if the Browns really do take a quarterback number one overall, I'm, I'm not going to believe they're going with the Patrick Mahomes plan. 
if right, they take right. a quarterback at four, they take Barkley at one and a quarterback at four and say the reason we traded for Tyrod is we want this guy, Baker Mayfield, whoever it is, to learn under Tyrod for one year, then I'm going to move him up even more. Right now I'm going to rank him right around 16, 17. Uh-huh. But this is this will be the best situation he's had in terms of producing fantasy points. He has Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, yeah, totally. all yeah, those yeah, weapons, yeah. and more pass volume. Okay, totally. so first and foremost, I agree. Best passing situation for him, no doubt about it. The weapons he's got better than anything he ever had in Buffalo. And yes, I think he's going to be asked to throw more in Cleveland than he ever did in Buffalo because Buffalo was pretty conservative for most of his time there. Last year, they changed their offense. We talked about it with Nathan. It's more of a West Coast game. He still didn't throw nearly as much. I don't know if he's going to be the guy for 16 games. So when you say what you're saying, it's totally tempered by the per game yes. statement that you're saying. Because I have a hard time believing that the Browns are going to take a quarterback at one and sit him Patrick Mahomes style unless he's just not ready and or Tyrod Taylor plays beyond anybody's expectation. Uh, all right. I think we're, we're done here. Down here? It, where where did you put Jarvis Landry in your rankings? I did drop Jarvis Landry just a little bit. I think he has more better competition for targets than he had in Miami, but more it's just an uncertainty thing. I felt relatively confident if he was in Miami, he's getting 150 targets or 145 targets or somewhere in that range. That might drop just a little bit in Cleveland. I don't I don't know how they could have two top twenty wide receivers. That well, I'm not, I mean, well, they, that could, they could, because, they could, because they had a top ten quarterback. Yeah, they'd have to. They'd have to. But one of the things, the other thing that makes Tyrod Taylor, and you say, you know, on a per game basis, he was close to top ten. Uh, maybe, maybe a little. Yeah, no, that's possible. But he also runs the ball a lot. Like it's not passing yards that make him a top ten quarterback. So I don't well, know. This is this is the argument that I get into with Bills fans, and I try not to have it anymore on Twitter. But the argument is Tyrod Taylor doesn't throw for enough yards, and it's really been Tyrod Taylor doesn't throw the ball enough for me because he's averaged right around seven yards per attempt that's perfectly fine if not good for an NFL quarterback no that's fine I'm just saying he has to throw the ball more which we expect to happen for for them to be able to have two wide receivers that are you know fantasy standouts absolutely Uh, what's your vote in the Twitter poll half PPR knowing what we know now right now about the Cleveland roster who will put up better fantasy numbers Josh Gordon or Jarvis Landry I would personally take Josh Gordon. I think we've seen Tyrod Taylor when he gets time and actually throws the ball downfield. He can be pretty accurate in that respect. I think he and Gordon could be a great combination, and I expect Gordon to score more touchdowns. That's the tiebreaker. All righty. So that's uh, that's our Browns take. I think the only thing I didn't say that I wanted to say is that Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor, mobile quarterback, good for a running game, be a really good spot for, for a rookie running back to land. Now – Let's move on. Email of the day is from Eric from D.C. Eric? Eric? Dear Alec, Daniel, William, and Steven. Those are bald ones. They are bald ones. Where's Doug? He's in this email. Oh. Given that Seattle is disbanding the Legion of Boom and Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham are heading out the door, we don't know that for a fact with with them, but it seems that way. Mm -hmm. How high could Doug Baldwin fly? Wilson's coming off a career year. Tyler Lockett was not good last year. They're losing their number one red zone threat in Graham. Could he get 100 catches, 1,300 yards, and 10 touchdowns? What do you think about? I like how he's thinking. Yeah, it makes sense. And and we didn't talk too much about Russell Wilson uh, when we mentioned all the defensive departures for the Seahawks. But yeah, I mean, it's setting up like it could be a better passing game, not more efficient because Wilson's awesome, but more prolific passing game. Sure, and also remember that they don't have a run game that you can sink your teeth into. So there could be several weeks this season that are like last season, where you're going to see the Seahawks being forced to throw a lot. And without Jimmy Graham there, and if they don't replace Jimmy Graham with a a capable tight end, much less one with the upside that Graham has, then yeah, of course Doug Baldwin's going to have tons of targets. But he's also going to get tons of attention. Remember, it's a lot easier for defenses to focus on him when the next best red zone threat is Luke Wilson, but does that but does that really come into yes. play yes. I, with a route mean, runner like Doug Baldwin? I'm not sure it's as important. Yeah, like he he had what 14 touchdowns two years ago. They can double him. I know, but ago. Like, when does that matter they for a great? They could player? have done that last year. When does that matter for a great player? To to answer Eric's 
question how high could he fly. I've moved him up to 12th in standard, 11th in PPR, and I think realistically top six or seven is not out of the question. I also moved Russell Wilson up to my number one quarterback. Ooh, really? Like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are both healthy for 16 games. I've got Russell Wilson ahead. You are crazy. You are. I love it. I love it. It's great. It's. I love it. It's great stuff. Um. You know what? I, I thought that Doug Baldwin was kind of a bust last year, like a like a mild bust, because he finished 13th in a down year for wide receivers, but he was five points away from being the number seven wide receiver in standard scoring leagues. And aren't a lot of the guys ahead of him guys that we expect to maybe go backwards a little bit next year? Uh, let me tell you, he, uh, possibly, uh, hold on. I, I can't even BS here. I have to pull up the, uh, okay, here we go. So seven was Michael Thomas. And then the next six wide receivers separated by five points in this whole group are, Ty, are Michael Thomas, AJ Green, Larry Fitzgerald, Brandon Cooks, Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry, Doug Baldwin. And then Adam Thielen is one point behind them. So it is like a big log jam. Thomas, A.J. Green, Fitzgerald, Cooks, Devontae Adams, Landry, Baldwin, Thielen. I rank Cooks and Fitzgerald behind Baldwin, Thielen as well, but the rest of those guys I still have ahead of them. That would be Thomas, Green, Adams, and that's it. And Landry? Or no? Oh, I'm sorry. No, Landry's, Landry's well behind. So Baldwin's in the middle of that group. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty consistent. I mean, two years in a row as a top 10 wide receiver and last, last year top 13, but like I said... So close to being number seven. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Is Russell Wilson going to throw 600 passes? He might. If, yeah, I, get th- there. I think that should be the expectation if they don't make huge moves to improve the defense. And I don't think they have the ability to make huge moves to improve the defense. He has thrown right around 550 passes two straight seasons. All right, then. Thank you for the email, Eric. Now let's get to our voicemail of the day. It is from Steve. Hello, Tom Servo, Crow, Gypsy, and Mike. This is Steve from Smyrna Park, Maryland. I don't have a question, but a quick story for you guys. I was in a meeting at work today, and I had to draw an illustration on a whiteboard. At the end of my illustration, I was quite proud of my work, and I pulled a Dave Richard and said, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It was not <laughs> planned. I don't know what I was thinking, and it left the room extremely quiet. So thank you, Dave for making me look like a moron. Bye. It's my fault? I yeah. love it. That is so awesome. Da, 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 da. You know what? If people did that every time they were proud of themselves for something good that they did, I think there would be fewer instances like this where people were caught off guard. You want to get you want to make it like go viral? I mean, I always just use it as the theme for when we previewed Thursday night games and occasionally use it whenever we were transitioning to another segment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily meant to um, signal pride. It's a touchdown dance is what he did. He did a little dance. He was proud of himself. Right. It was never a touchdown dance. It was always just a a little thing for people to hear to know that we were done talking about Thursday night football. Well, I think it's terrific. Thank you, Steve. All right. Let's see if more people. (laughs) It's great. I'll try using it in – my son has a basketball game tonight. It's a playoff game in his league. His team is the number one seed. They're taking on the worst seed. This team that they're playing hasn't won a game yet. Okay. So when they're done, I'll go up to my son and I'll go, na 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 And I'll even point at him and I'll let you know what he does. <laughs> Please get a video. Get a video. Have your wife video that thing. Oh, all right. We'll see. Maybe I'll make a video happen. So here are some news and notes, some more non-Cleveland news and notes. Uh, the Saints have strong interest in bringing Jimmy Graham back to New Orleans, according to Ian Rappaport. If he goes to New Orleans, Jimmy Graham is the number what? Number blank tight end. Uh, man, he, he, there were times last year where he kind of looked like he had lost three steps, 12, 11. I've got him seventh now. I'll move him to sixth. Heath, you're far more optimistic, but he had dropsies. Like he had all sorts of issues going on in Seattle. I think he was never really comfortable there. I don't think he was really understanding of the role there. We know he knows what he's doing in New Orleans. That system hasn't changed, assuming that it's still Drew Brees as the quarterback. That yeah, that would that's matter. That's not official. All yet. the teams in the NFC South want to have two tight ends. 
Oh, I hate, yeah, I hate that. True. Wait, but but Heath, you're saying that you would keep Graham like around ten to twelve if he moves to New Orleans. I don't. Yeah, you're basically I, I saying you don't want him. I don't because someone will take him well ahead of where you'll take him. Yeah, there's there's too many other tight ends that I'm fine with, including Adam Shaheen. Including Adam Shaheen, I am excited about Adam Shaheen. Really, over Jimmy Graham on the Saints? Wait, wait, wait! You're drafting Shaheen over Graham? I'm drafting Shaheen over Graham. Ooh, you're just you just don't want any part of Jimmy Graham. Nope. Uh, look, Heath Heath is never afraid to uh, go out on a limb, which I certainly appreciate. No, no, no. But it's just he's justifying it because of what he's seen. But he's from got him, him seven. He's season. got Adam Shaheen eighth. So it's not just. That he's no, low on no, it's Graham. not. It's not just I hate Jimmy Graham. It's that I think Adam Shaheen's going to have a big year this year. Okay. All right then. Uh, the Rams are interested in re-signing Sammy Watkins, according to Jason Lockenfora. I, you know, I think it's. I don't like talking about the speculative stuff because by the time people hear it, it might be certain. So I, I'll just say some of the rumors, and we'll talk about the things that are actually happening, like this stupid thing. Oh, I hate it. Tampa Bay re-signing Cameron Brait, six years, $41 million, with $18 million in guarantees. Ew. Why are you saying ew? Because you know Cause I like Jordan Howard. I like uh, O.J. Howard. You know Congratulations it. to Cameron Brait is what I would like to say. I'm very happy for the young man. And listen, if it's a true <laughs> six-year deal, $18 million guaranteed, that's only $3 million guaranteed each year. He's probably not going to play six years, but he'll be there next year. I found it curious that he averaged about 38 snaps per game. Whereas OJ Howard averaged 44 snaps per game. I think he's the number two tight end. The bigger takeaway for me is not even so much Howard or Brait. It's I don't think this is good news for Mike Evans. They're not. The problem for him in the second half of last year is that Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick really spread the ball around. And that they're investing in a second tight end tells me that they want to continue to do that. Should we care about the salaries? Because Evans did just get a massive contract. Is that, does that mean anything to you? Well, I mean, it means he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's got to justify it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't think they're going to say, all right, it's it's first and goal. You better throw it to Mike Evans because we paid him whatever it is. No. no but, money. but does it mean they call more plays for him, Get it, make him more of a featured part of the offense? No. I Once the game's going on, I don't think they really think about contracts trivia they think about how they're going to score fun trivia impromptu trivia as i look at the stats who led the bucks in receiving touchdowns last year mike evans no um cameron Brait. and he's smiling it must be oj howard can't be O.J. Howard. Yeah, it's O.J. Howard. They both had it six. Is? They both had six. Six. Right, and Evans had five. I thought maybe they spread it around so much that five would have been good enough for the win. Cameron Braid had 77 targets. O.J. Howard had 39. Well, do you, does this uh, does this really hold back O.J. Howard's uh, breakout potential? Yes. Name the last time a team had two tight ends regularly on the field and one or both were great, and the quarterback was not Tom Brady. Well, no. But, uh, well, I'm not saying – like, Cameron Braid is not going to be like, fantasy I would, relevant. He could be a blocking gonna be tight end. A, I'm going to be a jerk and you? say the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't always have two tight ends on the field, I, though, and I, I think they did I, a the lot. The inkling is that they're going to – I could go back and look, but I remember Nelson Aguilar playing quite a bit in the slot. It's usually what they did when they had three receivers. We can go back and check that out if you want, but I don't think they were nearly as prolific with two tight ends as as uh, Tampa Bay was. Okay. Well, yeah, it 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 hurts OJ Howard. I don't really feel good about starting the season with either one of these guys. And even if Tampa Bay had a great Week One matchup, they're taking on a team that got decimated at safety during the preseason and training camp. Which one would you feel better about starting? You, uh, you can't answer that. Well, I. This so kind of knocks to me, them both out. This feels to me like let's wait and see what the reports are saying. You know, let's because look, it's March twelfth. <laughs> if they're saying in um in training camp, OJ Howard's the guy. You know, Bright's gonna block or like there are bad contracts handed out all the time. So the thing is, OJ Howard. One of the things that they felt like he was ready to do when he came to the NFL was block. He's a good blocker. That's yes, fine. That's so part of the reason why he played forty four snaps per game. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, it's it's not good for for Howard, but uh, Denver not expected to cut C.J. Anderson, but they could trade him, according to Nine News Denver's Mike Kliss. Oh boy, how many teams are clamoring for C.J. Anderson? Zero. <laughs> Zero. They might be able to trade him. They're basically floating something out there saying, "Would anybody take this guy?" We're not going to cut him. We, pick. we swear. That's we right. We're not going to cut him. That's right, everybody. He's going to stay right here unless you really, really want him. Atlanta and Seattle are interested in Austin Safarian Jenkins, according to Jason Locke and Fora. Heath, if he ends up on Seattle, would you rank Safarian Jenkins ahead of Jimmy Graham? I would not. Okay. Uh, we got the Jets, Titans, and Colts interested in Deion Lewis, according to Jason Locke and Fora. We'll see where he ends up. And Baltimore is focused on Dante Moncrief again in this. Wait scene. a minute, wait. A minute. Did you say the Titans are interested in Deion Lewis? Am I not? Is that not what he that, wrote? That makes sense. That that would be terrible for Derrick Henry. I yeah. I I don't know. I I would see that as I don't. Ex- I think they're going to add a third down back. Uh yeah. Well, they've they've talked about Henry being part of the passing game. I he could be. He could still catch the thirty thirty passes or something. I don't mind if they do it in the draft or if they do it with a cheap. Free agent. But Deion Lewis isn't going to come cheap. Could, what was the last news, though, after that? Uh, that Baltimore is focused on Dante Moncrief. That seems like a really good fit. Like, they they have cornered the market over the last few years on bad receivers, and I think he would fit in really well. You know, I think he could actually be a decent receiver if he could just stay healthy. <laughs> Big body, good in the red zone, not a number one guy, not really a number two guy. Dante Moncrief, Parker Floyd. Dante Moncrief, Parker Floyd. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I'm just gonna ignore that one. The Ravens cut Ladarius Webb, and Miami expected to cut Indomitian Sue, and the Seahawks re-signed safety Bradley McDougal to a three-year, $14 million deal. Anything else, uh, on your mind? Big free agent stuff? It's gonna be a lot of fun. These, this next week or so. It's going to be a good time. Good make, time to be a football fan and a sports fan because of the brackets. Oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, oh, right, the brackets. I'll make the announcement. Heath, go ahead. Oh, you want me to go first? No, I was just going to say that like, I made the Devontae Parker joke. That's probably the other thing on my mind is the Dolphins yeah. wide receivers. It's a boost for both of them. Kenny Stills did some good work out of the slot last year. Uh, he may be a sleeper. Who's the quarterback? Good question. Probably Ooh. won't be worse than last year. Who's the right tackle? Who's the slot receiver? Can he which still? has been a key part of the offense. You think he moves to the slot? I think he, I, that's a strange fit. He, he ran a lot of slot snaps there last year. Yeah. I, I guess just because he's not slow like Jarvis Landry doesn't mean he can't do it. All right. It you know what? Let, let's just go back. Like how on earth is Jarvis Landry gonna, gonna put up big numbers? I'm this sorry is, to, to re, redo the podcast. But this is the best quarterback he's ever played with. Yeah, but it's also the, the by far Ooh. the best receiving unit he's ever played with. And I'm actually, not. yeah, wait, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think I think you're underselling Tannehill. I think Tannehill and Tyrod Taylor are pretty similar. Like maybe in style they aren't, but in terms of just overall, they're they're both average quarterbacks. I okay, I won't. I'm not saying that Tyrod is much much better than Ryan Tannehill. I'm just saying he is better than Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, but like Gordon is better than than any wide receiver Landry's ever played with. That's and, true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, if Najoku becomes anything, then he's better than any tight end that Landry's played with. I moved Landry down. He was the biggest loser over the weekend. How many targets a game you think he gets? Yeah, like, uh, let me just look. I, I said eight earlier. Seven-ish. I, I think like 115 targets for the year. All right, so that's closer to seven than eight. I've got him at 123 targets. Okay, so that's slightly under eight, but close enough. He's caught seventy percent of his targets over that over his career, and that may go down just a little, but yeah, it's right in there. Why would that go down? I don't know that he's going to run all the exact same routes that he's ran for Miami over this time. I mean, hopefully, he's going to average more than nine yards per reception. Well, that's to me, that's <laughs> where it comes down to for him because what do we know about Josh Gordon? He's not slow. No, and you know that he's going to make the most out of many receptions. I don't see Jarvis Landry getting a lot of deep balls in Cleveland, so it, I. He's averaged 10.5 yards per catch or less in three or four seasons. I think it's generous to give him 10 yards per catch. Yeah, and and other, Nathan's the, argument earlier was that he's going to have more room to roam because of coverage underneath being a little lighter. But he, he's not a burner. They can catch up to him pretty quick. So between 85 and 90 catches, I could buy that. 
but that means we're talking about 850 to 900 yards, maybe nine and a quarter yards. I'm doing a Twitter poll for you, Adam. Okay. Yeah. Now the other guy that really factors in is Duke Johnson. I, I, I mean, I brought it up with Nathan. It's just there are too many guys doing what Jarvis Landry does best. Now I will say that I'm looking at Miami game logs from last year. And there's a two-game stretch, weeks 14 and 15, against New England and Buffalo. Jarvis Landry had 18 catches and two touchdowns in those two games. So big-time performances for fantasy. 18 catches in those two games. Why do I bring those two games up? Because Kenyon Drake had 11 catches in those two games. So that is encouraging that a running back had 11 catches and Landry had 18 over a two-game stretch last year. But I don't know. It's just so many mouths to feed. It's such a different situation. And there's no track record of, as Dave has mentioned, Tyrod Taylor throwing to slot receivers. But I don't want to rehash the whole podcast. So far, 100% of people think Tyrod Taylor would be the best quarterback Jarvis Landry has ever played with. I, I don't. Is that what you phrased it as? Yes. That's what I said that you disagreed with. I, no, it's just that, like, to say that is almost to imply that he's a lot better than Ryan Tannehill. And I think they're pretty close. You're forgetting about Jay Cutler. Actually, I'm not sure I wouldn't take – like, there's the thing. The Bills fans are the only people that don't like Tyrod Taylor. There's got to be a reason for that. We all think he's better than he is. We're going to assume the fans of the particular team are the most rational actors here? Absolutely, and the most knowledgeable by far about their I, players. M- most knowledgeable, I would agree. The most rational, that's not gen- – I'm not the most rational about the teams that I but like But aren't fans usually homers? No. Yes. Yes. No. Dol- Dolphins fans love – to be upset over things their team has done. Well, it's justified. <laughs> okay, emails, fantasyfootball.cbsi.com. This is from Jameson and Terrell from Washington, D.C. Dear Thielen, West, Lambert, Levine, Oates, Schefter, Shaheen, Gregory, Sandler, Scott, Jones, Vinatieri, Ant, and 12. At about this time last year, Fantasy Football Today podcast host Adam climbed onto his soapbox and started spreading the gospel about his amazing new Azer strategy. It was also sometimes referred to as the friendship strategy and a few other things I've since forgotten. The idea, as I recall, was to use any early and middle-round draft pick on a receiver and later draft a second receiver from that same team. This dynamic duo was guaranteed to catapult every fantasy team into the playoffs and beyond. I'm just wondering how that worked out because I'm not hearing too much about it these days. <laughs> Which wide receiver tandems were you especially high on last year? How many of them delivered anything near the level of success, success you were anticipating? How Mo- is this not the email of the day? Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> Most important, will there be anything like... Because it rips on Adam, that's why. <laughs> well, I would have left it out if I didn't like it. Um, So the funny thing is, my two favorites were the Chargers with Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams and the Cardinals with J.J. Nelson and John Brown. Those are my two favorites. And the Cardinals one didn't work. I think quarterback getting hurt had a lot to do with that. And the... The Chargers one absolutely worked because it's okay if one of them is a bust, if you get a great player out of it, and it absolutely worked. So I never really brought that up. Also, I never even considered the Vikings. I had no faith in Adam Thielen. That probably would have been the best one. Uh, it wasn't that, it wasn't that good of a strategy. It just wasn't. But the Chargers worked. If you'd gone with the Steelers before the season, Smith Schuster wouldn't have been on your radar. You would have gone with Brown and Martavis. No, I think I would have gone with Brown and and Juju both finished in the top twenty. I think I would have gone with Martavis and Juju, to be quite honest. That probably would have been more of the Azer strategy. It wasn't usually one of the elite receivers, but remember, Keenan Allen was like a third round pick. So um I don't know. I mean I think there there's still probably something to it of like Hey, this guy's going to be really good if this guy gets hurt. So I'm going to draft both of them and guarantee myself one good player. I could see it happening. I think you need to go to the next level with this strategy this year and use it on tight ends and draft Cameron Brady <laughs> and O.J. Howard. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. Also, I would not consider Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry. I don't. Why think not? I don't think they'll be drafted far enough apart. Right. They're both going to be top 60 picks. Yeah. Now, would I consider... Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson? I'm not sure, because if Devontae Adams got hurt, I'm not sure that Nelson would be able to fill in and be awesome. What about Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But what else is a good one? Like, okay, like Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard, right? That would have worked. Kind of. Mm, yeah, you got almost nothing no. out of your first-round pick. 
Well, that no, okay, but Shepard was pretty good, right? Okay, no. but would you do that this year? Like, how good would Sterling Shepard be if Beckham got hurt? I think he'd be about as good as he was this past season. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe one like I just saw. How about Josh Doxson and Paul Richardson? No. Just on the win that Richardson goes to Washington. I don't know. Maybe. I Actually, yeah. I don't like it. How about it, Allen Robinson and Cameron Meredith? Yeah. Chicago. Alex I don't like Jeffrey it. and Nelson Aguilar. Not bad. That's not, not a bad one. I don't like Sammy it with Sammy Watkins uh, and Pierre Garçon. I don't like it with first round picks. I just got to say that. Stop so the, overlooking Marquis Goodwin, Dave. The Beckham thing was was not applicable. <laughs> All right, next email is from Greg in the largest island in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, <laughs> clam chowder. <laughs> Virginia. Uh, hey Nick, Joel, Coach Steve, and Har- Hormone Monster. What the heck is that? Big Mouth, apparently, is a thing. Big Mouth. Uh, I have a keeper philosophy question for you guys. I mainly play in Dynasty League, so I'm new to the concept of only keeping two guys versus my entire roster. When deciding on your keepers, do you look at it like you would in Dynasty, where youth and or their round plays a big role in their value, or just keeping studs on your team is more important, knowing a big portion of the top 24 overall guys will be off the board to start the draft? For example... Does keeping Juju in the 14th and Ingram in the 12th, Evan Ingram, in the 12th, have more value than keeping Brown in the 1st and Gronk in the 2nd, knowing there's a one-round penalty every year you keep them? So, like, Juju in the 14th, Evan Ingram in the 12th, Antonio Brown in the 1st, Gronk in the 2nd. What would you do there? There's certainly a point where youth matters, but if I have the chance to keep Antonio Brown and Gronk in the 1st and 2nd, I'm just going to do that. And that's fair value for both of them. And it doesn't hurt to keep players for fair value. But you'd almost prefer in, in this situation to keep at least one player at fair value and one player at a better than fair value. For example, if you could keep Brown and Gurley for your first and second round picks, it's a no-brainer. You stick with it. In this case, I'm with Heath. You're still going to keep those guys, and you just hope to draft well this next season. And then if you need to replace Gronk or Brown going into 2019 – You've got some keepers to do it with, but there could be no worse feeling in the world than keeping Juju, keeping Evan Ingram, throwing back those other two guys, and then you're drafting from less than ideal players in the first and second rounds. It's not going to be your typical fantasy draft because, like you said, a lot of guys are being kept. Well, you're probably not getting Brown or Gronk back. And, well, it depends on where you pick in the first round. You might get one of them. Well, if you can get one of them, then you don't keep them both, obviously. You gotta, you gotta know who's being kept and where you're picking. That's part But you of might it. not know that by the, before you make your cut. Or uh-huh. you make your decision, I should say, not make your cut. But imagine keeping Juju and Ingram and then watching them both fizzle out. Does it make, like, what's a better value though? Gronk in the second or Ingr- Ingram in the twelfth? You could probably make the case for Ingram in the twelfth being a better value because I think Evan Ingram's gonna end up going round six, seven. Not even close to 12 and not even close to two. And Gronk's going to go round two every draft. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that, yeah. So you guys say Brown and, and Gronk though. I just, I get the guys. I take, uh, I take the easy way out. The here. bird in the hand is better than two in the, two in the bush. Right. This is from Steve from Seoul. I currently hold picks, uh, the eighth pick of round one, the eighth pick of round two and the 10th pick of round two in a 12 team dynasty league. And that's in the rookie draft. Eighth pick in round one, eighth pick in round two, tenth pick in round two in the rookie draft. Because I am unfamiliar with the value of late second round picks in a rookie draft, I'm wondering if I should try to package those two second rounders with a player and try to move into the first round or just stand pat with my three picks. Uh, the, the value of the picks in the second round are not very good. So it would have to be a very good player to pair with them to move up. I would say even considerably. Yeah, I agree with David completely, but there's a chance that someone that has a first round pick doesn't. So I would not be afraid to azer it here and <laughs> just, I, I would be making offers to most of the teams in the first round. And if I could get rid of those two picks for an earlier pick, I would do it. Offer the pile of slop for the gold bar, something like that. Exactly. I, I forgot to mention the podcast league stuff, by the way, the bracket stuff. Uh, we're doing an NCAA tournament bracket. March Madness Challenge. Podcast listeners of the Fantasy Baseball Today and Fantasy Football Today podcast, join it. I will tweet out links. 
If you should follow me on Twitter at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R. If you are not on Twitter, you can email us, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com, and I will email you a link. So if you want to be in, by the way, the, the person who's in the lead after the second weekend, so heading into the final four, is, uh, the person in the lead is in the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast league, if they so choose. If you're a football listener, you don't want to be in it, that's fine. But, um, I guess I could put you in the football podcast league. Could do that. So that's cool. Alright, so, uh, yeah, if you want to be in the bracket, we had over 1,400 people last year, we want more this year. Follow me on Twitter at Adam Azer or email us fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. And Kyle Wilson needs help with a keeper question. I can keep two for the same round pick that I took them in. Standard scoring. Antonio Brown in the first, Kareem Hunt in the sixth, Zach Ertz in the seventh, and Derrick Henry in the tenth. Well, Hunt for sure in the sixth. Yeah, and Henry in the tenth. Yep, Hunt and Henry. Okay, Hunt and Henry. Thank That's you That's an all. example of two players at exceptional value, like you're stealing them, versus the one guy at fair value, which is Brown. Ertz is better than fair value too, but the other two running backs are better. Well, that is Dave and Heath, and we want to thank Nathan Zagura for joining us. Excellent show today. We will be back on Thursday. By the way, if you leave us a voicemail at 954-689-3199, please no keeper questions. And if it is a keeper question, just uh, like two keepers max. Got to be real quick and easy. Uh, so please keep that in mind. We want some more general questions or fun stories about that. Na, 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 na. For Dave, for Heath, for Nathan, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you later in the week. Na, 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 na. Yeah. Oh